Sometimes the best way to understand our society and culture is to take a deep dive to find our peace of mind. Hello everyone and welcome to Peace of Mind. So today we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, if most of you are not aware of, there has been a recent uh, TV show that has been released on Netflix. And this show has kind of gone into the deeper depths of what kind of effect these people have on our community and how these people are able to get away with what they've done. And this is going to be intense. So sit back, relax, make sure you brought you know, OG Skywalker with you, because, honey, this is going to be a wild trip. All right, so we, um, what we're going to do is, uh, with this episode specifically, we're going to go over um, information about Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, we, we both have kind of papers and information. We're going to go back and forth. Uh, for starters, let's start with childhood. I think one of the, the biggest problems when we're dealing with these mental health issues. And you have to remember, Jeffrey Dahmer is a perfect example of an insane human being that has a mental disorder that allowed him to be the person that he was. So uh, Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, he was the first of two so sons of Joyce and Nett. And uh, I mean... It, I, I'm not 100% sure about this. You know, it's stated that he, she was a teletype machine instructor. Uh, if you're not aware of, uh, Lionel was his father. Uh, he worked as a uh, chemistry student and later a research chemist. Uh, his father was German and Welsh ancestry, and Joyce was Norwegian and Irish ancestry. So he grew up primarily in a white second-class home. So from we're getting from this, right? Yeah, they were like, and they became progressively more like uh, you know, upper middle class as he got older as well. Like they were kind of like these working class people, and then as like as they as they got older, like the dad became you know got a got a degree and stuff, and that was he was gone for a lot of his school. Like he was he was not at home when uh, Dahmer was young because his uh, he was away at school studying and getting his degree. So there was just a lot of uh, like isolation from early childhood. I watched the show and I also have read other things on it as well. Um, I watched it while I was painting a big mural last week and um, I have been, he's just been living in my brain since then. And I've thought about him in the past at times, but you know, like I don't really, I'm not like somebody who's like, there are people who are like really like up on all their serial killer knowledge and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not really, I like, periodically I'm like this is kind of an interesting thing because it's also just like to me it's not even interesting like oh this is like a curiosity but it's more like how do these things happen in society how do these things happen inside of a human being what ethical and moral switch gets flipped off so that people are able to do these acts and I think about this a lot but I think about ethics and morality even if you're somebody who has a curiosity about like you know harming others what is it that 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 basically just like mutes your ethics and morality. Well, I mean, inter but I mean, interesting enough. I mean, it it. I was reading over here. It stated that 
Dahmer had been an energetic and happy child, but became notably subdued after a double hernia surgery shortly before his first birthday. Okay, uh, I've heard this on the Joe Rogan podcast and other shows before. Some accidents that you run into, uh, brain trauma is a great example, a car accident, uh, a botched surgery, uh, certain imagery, or, or something that's really, really damaging to the brain physically, can cause these new neural pathways in the brain to form where they kind of will trigger certain behaviors. So somebody that was sweet and kind and loving one day can become a ferocious, monstrous bitch the next, just from getting their hand, head smacked in. Yes. Well, this, he was put under uh, anesthesia, but, like, it wasn't a head injury, though. It was a hernia, so something abnormal. That's what I was saying also but about, like... The other, yeah. But the other right. thing is, though, he was... I don't really... I, I feel like he was kind of, like, doomed from the beginning. Because his mother was a hypochondriac. Today's podcast is sponsored by Authority Car Mods, a mod shop which I personally use for all my car needs, from my custom modifications to my vehicle general maintenance, tire repair, and discount pricing. These guys do great work, and their prices are literally killing the competition. Located here in South Florida, in West Coral Springs, right off the Sample Road exit, not only are they super accessible, but open late nights with appointments. So don't wait. Follow them on Instagram at authority underscore car underscore mods, or call their office line, which is 954 798 one six zero two and book your spot was very emotionally manipulative and like like he like on you know 20 pills a day for different things for anxiety for sleeping for you know like just like and like this is back in like the 60s where there was like really heavy drugs that people were being prescribed like it wasn't like Zoloft and Paxil and like Abilify or something. It was like, these are like the heavy shit. Like I think like Quaaludes and stuff and sleeping pills. And those are things that really mess with you. And so if you're, if like, if you're taking those like prenatally, like if you're taking those when you're pregnant with with your child, your child is absorbing all of those chemicals as well. As just like kids that are born, like, like we, like when you think about like a, a child that's born to addicts, like if their parents are like, you know, like, like the, you know, like the idea of like a big crack baby or something where it's like a parent was had like addicted to crack cocaine or addicted to like you know uh like heroin or like whatever and the kid's born and they have that addiction as well so and not, not only well, that but can, like parts of their bodies and their brain well, they can they can, develop but, they can develop but some of them are born like literally detoxing from the chemicals with their if they're extremely uh, addicted chemicals but like even if you don't have the addiction when you're born with these things it still affects how you develop like and mentally, emotionally, physically, like it does, it can stunt and alter growth because that's literally like, I mean, it, it, they're, they're extremely heavy narcotics. And so like, even before he was four, the surgery probably did something as well. There's still that aspect of things where he might not have fully been like developmentally adapt in certain areas and develop one thing one thing we're learning one thing we're learning throughout um dahmer's story is 
is triggers. He constantly has these different triggers. You mentioned from the birth, okay? His mother was on constant of these really heavy drugs. Then he has the double hernia. The other interesting thing is in later on, like in the late mid-60s, in 1966, his family moved to Doyletown, Ohio. So they left Wisconsin and they moved to Ohio. And his mother had a second child in December of that year. And it was weird. This is interesting. Like, it says that Jeffrey was allowed to choose the name of his new baby brother. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, like, he chose a name. That's not, that's very uncommon. Yeah, like. Yeah, like, who does that? Yeah. Like, children, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing to do. Like, it's cool to have the kid be able to choose, but that's a very, like, not, not normative thing, especially in, like, white, you know, white suburban America. Like, but the thing is, like, okay, so in all of that time, though, too, like, so his mother was home alone in drug on drugs all the time, in bed a lot of the time, and even, like, tried to commit suicide at one mm-hmm. point. And his father was out of town a lot of the time. He wasn't at home because he was finishing his degree. And, like, and his father, like, had said that, like, he... He, it made, he he was uncomfortable around his son. He just always felt uncom- uncomfortable about Dahmer. And so, like, he, but then he found a way to bond with him when he taught him taxidermy. So, literally, this little kid who's, like, being raised by, like, a legal drug addict and then a half-absent father, like, his main bonding ritual with the one parent that's not high all the time is cutting up animals, which, by the way, uh, that's what they did yeah, but together. Just like pointing this out, <laughs> doing taxidermy or hunting with a family member, no, yeah. it's not a bad thing. You know, for some people, you know, the environment you grew up in or things your family are interested in, it can actually be kind of enjoyable. Like it's a family thing for a son or a daughter or his children oh, to yeah. go out hunting. Um, I, I've had weirdo friends who, who did taxidermy yeah. as adults and they're perfectly fine. A lot of them are like vegan and stuff. Like it doesn't necessarily mean you're like, a, you know, you're, you're a sociopath because you enjoy doing taxidermy. But when you're a young child and you're not getting like, you know, the, you're not, you're basically being like emotionally neglected and like, you know, not in a positive environment. And that's the one bright point in your life is mutilating dead animals. That's, that's a little bit of like a a, this, a warning I don't know. sign. The, 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 this, a warning. It's a warning sign. It's a, at least a red flag. It's not a warning. It's a red flag that you should make note of. But also, I think this is really important to remember. This isn't a period of time when like therapy was like a dirty word. Like if either of his parents, any teacher, had ever been like, "Hey, maybe you need to like see a counselor regularly," like they would have realized it was some deeply messed up with him he was like a functional alcoholic like drinking every day heavily liquor and and beer in class during school from 14 years old on yeah, sober alcoholic. and he was a he, not he was like a barely functional alcoholic until the day he was until he was arrested for for murder he was like a often laying down like couldn't fully articulate kind of alcoholic daily like this person was somebody and this kind of this is jumping ahead a little bit but this is something that i think that show was like because when i first started watching it i was just like god do we really need another show about do we need a jeffrey dahmer show 
And then I was like, oh, Evan Peters is playing. I love Evan Peters. Okay, I'm going to watch it for that. Maybe I'll just watch that episode. Then I was like, oh, wait, this is an interesting take on it. And it really is an interesting take on it because it's it's like kind of the first time that we're like watching a serial killer show or movie or whatever where we're not focusing on the serial killer. We're, we're more focusing on like the effects it had in, in society and culture and like the insane like white privilege that went into him getting away with it for so long and like also just like how how there were so many different points in time where if we had been in a society that talked about things that paid attention to these warning signs someone would have realized something was wrong with him maybe they wouldn't have realized the extent of it but like someone, if they actually asked him how he was doing, if they actually got in depth with him, they would have realized that he needed help. You know, he got, you know, uh, yeah. you know, going completely off subject and just thinking about it being like kind of the environment. And if you take the band like the Stooges and you have a, a person like Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop literally destroyed himself in the 70s. He was a mentally damaged individuals who's doing quaaludes he was like literally slitting his chest open on stage like he was was bad he's doing the same drugs that uh, jeffrey Dahmer's mom was like like he was, yeah he was on every he was on heroin he was on pills and he survived yeah but you know you say to yourself okay why am i comparing this but he didn't but he didn't have those he didn't have violence and right. thoughts the but, way that Jeffrey but Dahmer did. The thing was, is, and this is why I'm this is why I'm bringing this up. When you have a person that, and like this is this is even discussed, where like there's there's this desire of control. It's this desire of control of having what you want, and with Dahmer was it was like the submissive like creating this zombie that he can do whatever he want to and that was like the constant trend over and over and over again of he wanted control he wanted control and well he also wanted them to like love him forever and never leave him correct yeah because he had like because he had like a very sickly metastasized version of, of abandonment issues from his childhood and from also just being like a, a gay man back when he was a young gay man like there's no excuse for what he did, but no. I think that that looking at him as a human and in the places where he was failed as a person, where people failed him, is what can help us as a culture keep things like this from happening in the future. Like, yeah. you can't, I, and I don't, I also, but before we, because we're just, I feel like it's going to get, be a pretty intense episode in a lot of ways. I want to say to anyone listening, I'm not defending him in any way. If I sound empathetic, I'm not empathizing with any of his actions. I'm, I'm not identifying or defending any of his actions, but I'm empathizing with the little boy that was neglected and trying to understand how to prevent things that create people like Jeffrey Dahmer in the future. Because he wasn't always, a, you know, he, he'd be at some point, the intrusive thoughts took over and he did not have enough of the, you know, um, uh, emotional or uh, uh, familial support to be like, Oh my God, I shouldn't do this. I should talk to somebody about this. Yeah. 
like he didn't have the moral compass because it was never instilled in him. No. And he didn't, and he happened to just not have it normally. He just didn't, he just didn't have one, but he also like, he, he was failed by every single adult around him when he was young. And so when those intrusive thoughts became overwhelming and he started to do these terrible things and turn into the monster that we know of him as an adult, there was nothing that was keeping that door of it. Like there was nothing keeping the threshold of those intrusive thoughts at bay. I mean, it, it even, it's crazy to even think like in his early to mid teens, he had these, uh, masturbatory like fantasies, you know, which gradually evolved to his focus upon chest and torsos. We know this, he had this thing where he would chop up the bodies and eat certain organs but he had a he had a thing for torsos and these fan, you know these fantasies gradually became intertwined with his dissection i mean he was about like 16 years old he like would conceive these fantasies of like rendering uncon- unconscious people like particularly he had like this male jogger he found attractive and then making like sexual use of his body, so like he didn't even care that it was like the person was even alive. And on one occasion, like Dahmer concealed himself in bushes with a baseball bat to lie and wait for this man. However, he did not yeah. pass by on that particular day. And Dahmer later admitted that this was his first attempt to attack and render an individual submissive to him. So like this was like, and he was sixteen years yes. old. It's just crazy. This is a 16-year-old. This is a 16-year-old hiding in the bushes with a baseball bat. Where are his parents? Watching him, yeah. Like, where are where is any adult in his life being like, hey, dude, maybe you should, like, talk, you know, chill out. Let's, let's talk. Let's, like, like, who, no one, who raised this person? Like, and that's kind of what I'm saying where it's like, and, and this is something I think a lot about this is when I, my first, my first gut, like immediate takeaway when I watched the show was just like, this is still happening. And this is why we have those like, like stupid dudes on 4chan that go and shoot up movie theaters and shot up a suburb of Chicago. Like also, being from Chicago, it's weird that there's, I don't know, there's a lot of circulation. There's Gacy and there's Dahmer and then this dude shouted up like on the, like, you know, around the 4th of July, this just past year, one of the suburbs of it. And like, there's a lot of other crazy shit in Chicago too. I mean, Chicago's a crazy city, but like, it's, I'm glad I'm from there, but yeah, it's crazy, crazy <laughs> fucking city. That's a whole, that's a whole episode. Yes, um, can be a whole episode. Like, it can, we can talk about Chicago. It's fine. I can tell you all about the underground scene. It's really, really great. Unfortunately, also weirdly, his old stomping ground for finding people that kill in Chicago apparently was also the neighborhood where all the freaks and the weirdos and the queers hung out in Chicago. So, so I'm like, we like we were, you know, I, like I people that I knew that were older in the scene probably walked on the street at the same time as him at some point. It's creepy. It's it's very eerie. So here's the here's the weird thing, and like this is shown in the TV show. He. Like, among his peers when he was in high school, Dahmer became something of a class clown who often staged pranks, okay, which became known known as doing a Dahmer. Like, he literally became, like, the meme of the school. And these included, like, bleeding and simulating 
epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. On occasion, Dahmer would perform these antics for money to purchase alcohol. Like, he would do anything to be, like, the attention and control and just be high on alcohol, just be constantly yeah. drunk. And but also, yeah, but but also, like, when I read that, it like kind of creeped me out a little bit because I mean, just okay, so like, I'm like a generation ahead, older than you, and one younger, or one and a half younger than him. But when I was in it, when I was in grade school in the 90s, elementary school, kids were still doing that. I had a friend who did that. People would make fun of him and call him the R word. And so then he would act out. Like I, like that's something I, and maybe I, I hope that this doesn't even, ha doesn't happen in schools as much anymore, but I went to a public elementary school and that happened all the time. And that was a thing. And so I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh my God, like I knew people that did that. Like I knew people that like, because that was like how you felt, that's how you felt accepted. That's how they felt accepted by the bullies. That's how they felt. That's how they felt like that was their social. It's so it's so messed up, but it's also very like uncomfortably familiar because that was something that was. Again, I'm hoping that nobody mimics being like you know mimics cerebral palsy and other things now, and like mm -hmm. you know, I think it's cool to say the R word and call each other that and do it for fun. Um, but that was something that was really normal, even when I you know even when I was like nine ten years old. And it was a form of social capital. Like it was for the alcohol, but it was also because otherwise everybody just thought he was a freak. When he, like when, at least with this is with the friend that I was thinking about, like from my, from my childhood, like it was like, because we were like, we were all like the outcast kids. Like we were all the fucking weirdos. We were all like, you know, we all grew up to be like the art, the, the artists or the clears or the, or some of them, you know, some didn't make it, but like, like, he must have like like that was a form of how he was he found acceptance with people and he probably and like that was you know and also money but otherwise he was he was only seen as this freak or this like f you know uh the the bad f word for gay men Faggot. like yes i'm i can't say it as a I'm clear. I, well, you know something. I I had an English. You can say it. I had an English friend uh, that once told me. He said, "You know what the F word means?" He says it means a bundle of twigs. A bundle of sticks. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I remember once I had somebody uh, that said that term to me, like in slang. And I looked back at him. I was like puzzled. I gave him a puzzled look, and I said to him, "I said, I'm like." I look like a bundle of twigs. I looked at my friend. I'm like, do I look like a bundle of twigs? <laughs> and he looked at That's me funny. and he was like, what? Like, I literally, like, use the logic uh, against him. But so Dahmer uh, was pictured in the in 1978 yearbook. Uh, you can actually find that picture pretty much everywhere online. Uh, by 1977, Dahmer's grades had declined. His parents hired a private tutor. Uh, with limited success. He was drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's like, 
sorry like obviously like but this is what i'm saying where were his parents where were his teachers where were his aunt and uncle where was his christian grandmother who told him he was going to hell for being gay where were any of the adults in his life intervening in any part of his life if your 14 year old child is drunk every day coming home from school that's not that kid's fault that's your fault as a parent you're a negligent parent and you need to be like held accountable for for just being a shitty parent yeah i mean like i mean like in an attempt to to save their marriage his parents attended counseling sessions uh they continue to quarrel frequently so this is the thing also his parents used to fight like cats and dogs because his his dad was taking care of his sick mother uh, which was full of problems to begin with. And when Lionel discovered Joyce had engaged in a brief affair in September of 1977, they both decided to divorce, telling their sons they wished to do this amicably. And Lionel moved out of the house in early 1978 and temporarily residing in a motel on North Cleveland. Uh, and, I mean, at this point, like, his parents... He's out of he, but, uh, he has enough shit. Well, hmm? I have to add to that. Yes. So that that piece that you shared that I read before this that you just read from did not mention the most important part of that period of his life is that his mother moved out with his younger brother and basically they were like see ya bye the brother that he names and while the father was gone so the mother just like snuck out with the brother while the father had moved and relocated to another city and he at the end of his high school years. Like or like, you know, as a graduating high school, he was, and this is also when he killed his first, the first, the first victim. He was left alone for like four months in a house, not knowing where his parents were, or what was happening in his life. Like, put your, like, his actions are terrible. Again, one hundred percent not defending any of that. He should be held accountable. He should have. I think. I mean, you know, like. There's a there there there's no excuse for what he did. I mean, but I mean, like, who does that to their child? I mean, like, literally, uh, not even in like May of 1978. Like, this is the following year. You know, he Dahmer graduated from high school. A few weeks before his graduation, one of his teachers observed Dahmer sitting close to the school parking lot, drinking yeah. several cans of beer. When the teacher yeah. threatened to report the matter, Dahmer informed him he was experiencing a lot of problems at home and that the school's guidance counselor, counselor was aware of them. That spring, Joyce and David moved out of the family home, like we said, to live with relatives um, in Chip uh, Chippewa. Is it Chippewa Falls? Chippewa, it's Chippewa Falls, yeah. Uh, and Dahmer had just turned 18 and remained in the family home. Dahmer's parents' divorce like, you know, was finally finalized in July, and Joyce was awarded custody of her younger son and alimony payment. So, like... And the younger son's fine, by the way. He won't talk about his brother. But, like, he like, lives a very normal life and has a family somewhere and, like, tries to stay out of the light at, like, 100%. Um, like... His par- I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is like, this is just my immediate thought about this. It's just like his parents should have been punished for this. His parents should, like, like, I don't know. His, like, this is like someone who didn't have the intrusive thoughts and the, you know, sort of sociopathic tendencies and the other stuff 
would not have turned out well with his childhood. Somebody who had a very strong, like, you know, constitution and like what was not prone to any sort of psychological issues would have not turned out well with his childhood. This is like his childhood is terrible. Like they were middle class. So he wasn't hungry in the way that, you know, kids who are who don't have money are hungry and he didn't live in poverty. But in terms of his emotional development, like that entire family should be put in prison. Not really, but like that's that's my like you know that's my like immediate response and, to it on that and, sort of just like and again emotional level and again th- this is why I bring it up like when it came to the punk rock scene and the goth in the late sixties and seventies, a lot of these mm-hmm. kids here in the U.S. they came from middle class families from very fucked up homes in middle class. Yeah. And, they did, yeah. And I'm not they're not murderers. That's not the point I'm trying to bring this no. up. These were people that were fucked up in the head doing really dangerous things, caused even people to overdose on drugs. But yeah. you see the manifestation of parents not doing their part with their kids. Again, no parent is gonna be perfect. But you literally can see here if your kid is suffering from something. Yeah. This isn't just like not perfect. This is like award-winningly bad. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and yes, it's completely true that like in the early like punk and goth scenes and stuff, like a lot of, and also like the the not the race, I, I the non-racist skinheads in like Europe and stuff. Those were all kids. Like some of them were working class kids, and some of them were middle class kids, and a lot of them were white, and a lot of them, but most a lot of them, of them were all from these kind but of most of them, most of them families. in England came from the working class. The punk scene yes. developed from the working class, the poor one, very, very poor ones in England. But in the United States... Well, here it did, no, here it did too in cities. So that's the difference. Because you have, so you, I think you have, like, being from a, from a city underground scene myself, like, there's a huge, huge difference between the suburban underground scenes and the city underground scenes. And the city underground scenes are the poor kids. And the suburban, under, like, a lot of the time. Like uh, sometimes you'll have a few rich kids, but the city's just not. It, the city is more working class cities, big cities in general. And then you have the suburban, like punk and goth kids. You have the suburban underground scenes, and those are completely different. They're completely different things. But it's also different in that, like, the the neglect of like middle class suburban children is insane. And it's not like neglect in the way that you have in like areas where people just don't have the means to take care of their children. It's just like absolute mo- emotional and mental starvation. Like the kids have everything that they want that's tangible and physical and they have like zero connection to their family emotionally and like zero support for who they actually are. And it's, it's, I, it's, I feel like it's kind of always been that way because um, their parents are so focused on themselves. Yeah. I mean, like the thing is we're only going to be focusing on one of the, um, uh, one of the victims. Uh, we're not going to go over um, Hicks. You can you could watch the series. You can also read this on Wikipedia, and there's other articles and books that have been done on this as well about the victims. Uh, but six weeks after the murder of Hicks, Dahmer's father and his fiance returned to his home, where they discovered Jeffrey living alone at the house. So this is during the period of where his father went away, and then his mother kind of slept, uh, kind of moved with David away just leaving him alone and that that august Dahmer enrolled at a high ohio state university hoping to major in business business Dahmer's sole term at 
the OSU, was completely unproductive, largely because of his persistent alcohol abuse throughout the majority of the term. He received failing grades in Introduction to Anthropology, Classical Civilizations, and Administrative Science. The interesting thing is, like, the only course Dahmer was successful at was riflery. Like, having received yeah. a B-negative grade, his overall GPA was 0. 0.45 out of 4. That's terrible. It is, but again, it's like, what was the dad's solution for this? He pushed him into the military, where Dahmer not only got tactical training with weapons, but he also got medical training learning how to put people under anesthesia. Like, it's just, like, every person who should have been correcting him and, like, and not, like, you know, even, I'm not even saying, like, you know, like, every person who should have been, like, guiding him in a better direction literally handed him the tools to do everything that he did with on a, on a mental and emotional level. Like, there, and, and there was no, like, hey, maybe let's get you into a program where stop drinking. Hey, maybe go through some meetings. There was this harsh, like, Christianity shame around his homosexuality. And this, like, you got to straighten up and fly right. You got to do something that's going to toughen you up. It was like, and then, like, you know, and when you have all of these people that are supposed to be guiding you in the right direction, telling you that you're already, that you're already doomed and you have these violent thoughts and you have these weird afflictions and you don't know that, and you, you don't know what else to like, you don't really have that. Here's wait. I really want to, I'm going to kind of detour back to talk about like, just like the sort of the, the punk and the goth scenes in general and like, or like just the weirdo scenes, the queer scenes, all the underground stuff, because there's like, I have a point here. Can I, can I do that for two seconds? A lot of those kids had similar backgrounds to him. I'm not saying that he's unique in any in any no, capacity. That was that stuff. He's not. That stuff was rampant, and that stuff was even worse for a lot of kids. He was never beaten for being gay by his parents. Like they beat each other, but like he wasn't. I don't think he was ever hit. Like, there's so much worse that it could have been for him. I'm not saying by any means that he, you know, deserves like this. You know, super, a lot of sympathy on that level. But I'm saying like what was wrong with him was such a. It was something that was so prevalent in society in general. But the difference was. He never found that community that he clicked with that was able to help him realize what he should and shouldn't do. He never found a person that he connected with because he didn't quite connect with people. And I think that is the difference between like why kids who had worse families than him in similar demographics in like the punk scene, for example, early punk scene didn't do that kind of stuff. Maybe they were self-destructive. Maybe they were kind of like, you know, crazy in different ways, but like they found other outlets. They found music, they found art, they found whatever, like just being well, crazy. Think about, like, but, um, but they think about Iggy Pop. I, I, I hate to say this, but I feel like if Iggy didn't find the Stooges, if he didn't find that group, that niche, I, 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 I you know, I don't know what he would have been capable of. Hundred percent, and then so dangerous. many other people. Yeah, I know, and that's but that's. I think about that with like David Bowie. I think about oh, that yeah, with like big time. you know, like like so many of the like uh, Trent Reznor, um, like so many like like uh, Skinny Puppy, like all the ones that have like some of the darkest shit, and Brian then like Jones. or like the singer of Corn, 
uh, Jonathan Davis. Like there, it goes Mick on Jagger. and on in every genre. Yeah, a lot of the people who have these extremely dynamic and uh, powerful presences creatively have found ways to channel that darkness into art. Big time, yeah. He he never found that community, and the darkness just became darker and darker and darker and darker. And once he went down, once he went down one door to that corridor, he just going and never stopped. And also being a daily like a daily like almost blackout drunk alcoholic since he was fourteen, that fucks up your how you emotionally and like and mentally develop as well that affects how your brain develops that affects your emotional capacity to connect with other people you wonder so the difference is he didn't connect with the other people and the the early punks and goths and that whole schema of things did connect with each other the community was at the core of that entire culture and that entire scene whereas he had no community you wonder to yourself i i wonder to myself if he ever um, again, we he is still a monster and will always be a monster. What he did is tragic and horrible and disgusting. But yeah, it's horrifying. I, there's no there's no, no absolutely for not. It and, yeah. No, but if he would have gone into a punk band or something in the goth scene, yeah, he would have. Oh my god! If he found the if he found like the queer underground scene Ooh. in the in like the eighties, he would probably would. It could have, yeah, I know, I know. He like that's the thing. It could have been a completely different world. It could have been a completely different. Like he wouldn't have done those things. Like people would still be alive, probably. He probably would have just been a you know moderately famous dude, and maybe he'd still be alive, or maybe he would have overdosed or something or whatever. Like he would have had like that life of just like the, you know, because it's that. I think that that darkness that he was that he. And that's kind of something that was I was talking with my friend about right after I watched this. I, I watched this right before I had like I watched this right before I had like my big crazy psychedelic birthday party last weekend, and it was a very strange way to go into my birthday party watching the last episode. And I'm just like still thinking about like Evan Peters as Jeffrey Dahmer, and I'm like trying to like have this fun beach time like birthday party photo shoot with people. I'm just like weird why did i do this to myself but like i was talking like i was talking to my friend about this too where it's like you know that's like i think about the actor who played him and like how, like my friend and i were talking like like we we're like is evan peters okay like as a person because he plays psychopath after psychopath and he gets into the roles and he's a brilliant actor and I think people are finally starting to realize that. I feel like people kind of wrote him off because he was on a lot of sort of more campy things. But he's like, he's a real actor. Like, he's really, really good. And he's really, really good at being a person like Jeffrey Dahmer on screen. It's like, however he was when he was young, that has to take a toll on you psychologically. But he's able. he is an example in playing Jeffrey Dahmer of someone who's taking that darkness whether it's his own or whether it's the world's or whether it's just like empathetically relating to what has happened, you know, to, to other people or whatever, like, and transmuting that into something that is like a phenomenal performance, but also something that tells a side of the story that we hadn't heard before in a, in a, in a way we hadn't heard before. He's able to take that darkness and turn it into something powerful and, and good and like positive. So kind of um, skipping a little forward, uh, 
you know, in, in March 24th of 1981, so we're, we're kind of ready now in the 80s, and Dahmer was sent to Fort Jackson, uh, South Carolina, for debriefing, and he was provided with a plane t- ticket to travel anywhere in the country. He later told police he felt he could not return home to face his father, so he opted to travel to Miami Beach uh, here in... Don't forget he also killed somebody already. Yes, he did. He killed somebody. He killed somebody when he was left alone in his house for four months by his parents. Right. Well, he killed a hitchhiker. Yeah. To, just to briefly go over that, uh, he was a hitchhiker. He brought him over to his place. Uh, he said he wanted to leave. He started to freak out, and he hit him over the head with a dumbbell and strangled him to death. And he went through a whole process of dismembering and then pretty much burying the entire body. Um. And then his father came back. So this is like literally in between the period of his mom leaving him and his dad being away because of, yeah, you know. And he was like just, he was like, he was either just, that was either just before he was 18 or right when he turned 18. So legally he's an adult at this point, but he's not, I mean, he's, He's legally adult, an adult. Obviously, he should legally be treated like an adult. But he was a senior in high school. Like, again, 100% not saying that he should be forgiven for anything that he no. did. But where were his parents? I mean, the, the crazy part about this was, like, he found a job at a delicatessen, and he rented a room in a nearby motel. He spent most of his salary on alcohol. I mean, obvious. That's pretty much what he did. Yeah. And was soon evicted from the motel from non-payment. So he initially spent his evenings on the beach as he continued to work at the sandwich shop until phoning his father and asking to return to Ohio in September of the same year. So, I mean, like, he's kind of bouncing around of I mean he has this resentment towards his family like he doesn't want to spend time with his father but he goes back um you know kind of going over this just briefly when he came back he didn't stay for very long he moved in with his grandmother which he did very well which was very strange well no he didn't though he when he was with his grandmother, he did very well on the surface, and he held down a job for a while, uh, doing something right, right. with the medical knowledge that he got from the military. Um, and then he got fired from that as well. And then he became, a, I think, a butcher. Uh, and then he eventually got fired from that as well. But during that period, he also murdered more people. And that was also the period that his grandmother literally walked in right before, like as on one of the victims when he was already like you know high out of his mind from whatever Dahmer had given him like Dahmer was not doing well he was just slightly more functional in society at that period of time and that was because he wasn't out drinking all the time he was at home with his grandmother walking, you know hanging out with this this old christian lady but also being told that he was, you know, already already being told that he was going to hell because he was gay too. So that is also that kind of reinforcement as well. 
that negative reinforcement. I mean, he already had also, you know, you got to remember also he had criminal charges against him. I mean, first of all, he had he was at a, a state affair where he exposed himself in front of yeah. children, adults. That was during that period. Yeah. And then, you know, he got charged and then he was fine. And then he was caught again masturbating, you know, right across from a 14 year old. And yeah, and that was the one that was when he went to prison for um, uh, an inappropriate something with a minor, right? Yeah. Uh, um, or was that was that with that one or was that was that a later? No, no, one? that was that was the the second time, and then he got um, he got imprisonment for a short term, and then he was fine for a year. Yeah, he was in prison for a year, and then he had to also file as a. So this is the crazy thing. Also, he was filed as a sex offender at this point. Yeah. So when he was doing all of his murders, he was legally a, a, a sex offender, and yeah, the, the, there was. But he moved into a neighbor. I mean, but the thing is, like, and this is where the this is where it starts to get twisted on a political, on like a socio political level too, is like he's this cute white dude, like at the at the at, at, like the base of everything. You look at him and you like you know, like I. If I were to look at him and you like not a mugshot or something that I knew who he was, I'd be like, oh, I bet this guy is in a band or something. He looks like a nerdy math rock guy. Like he's not like he and like, you know, the judges are basically like, you don't belong in prison. Like you just need to find a good girl and like settle down. Like talking to this person who would then go on to like, you know, eat 16 human beings. Like because everybody saw him as this, you know, like cute kind of basic like white dude from a kind of basic middle class family in the suburbs they saw him as this this kind of good kid or whatever that's the and like and he lived in places and this this was something that i also thought when i was watching it at first like was just like he he targeted he lived in he well this okay this this i'm gonna pause because it gets more relevant okay so here's also here's something really important to keep in mind before he started targeting targeting people in the gay you know gay clubs and bars he used to go to bathhouses and he used to this is earlier he used to sedate them and then he would yeah. have sexual intercourse and what happened was is the club was picking on him what he was doing because his victims were alive and they banned him he was thrown out they did yeah and I, I think he got into this like mental state of okay, I have to be able to control the person, and we later see where he started. Uh, we'll talk about this. There was the Laos kid that he killed, where he would pour acid in their brain to zombify them, and his experiment. Lao, there's no S in Lao. Yeah, there was. He poured. A- no, 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 I'm saying there's no S in Lao. L- Lao. No, it's oh, not it's Lao. Lao. It's Lao. Lao. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so he um, he would inj- basically drill a hole and inject um, acid. And again, like we're seeing this pattern of all he wants is to hold on to something that won't abandon him. Yes. And again, we're not saying for Dahmer, like, but it's like this is how this is a deeply twisted person that has been deeply twisted and this is a person who from childhood did not get needs met and because of his other afflictions yes those needs became 
completely metastasized into these horror shows that was his life. Um, I think it's I think it's important to to talk about this victim. Uh, I mean, even in the show, you can see with the family and yeah, how. I mean, for starters, so kind of even skipping the whole ladies, I and mean, we've kind of briefly gone over this. Uh, this is kind of towards the end. So on the afternoon of May 26, 1991, uh, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Lao teenager. I do not know. Well, we, we, yeah, we need to backtrack a little bit, though, because I feel like this is extremely oh, sorry. important yeah, culturally, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Yeah. So after, so basically, his grandmother, I think, like kicks him out eventually as well. After he drugs and almost kills this African American guy that he was like, and his grandmother saw this and was like, "I don't trust you here anymore." Even though he'd already killed two people in her home while she was there, like everyone around him is a fucking idiot. But like, (laughs) but like, he moves into this neighborhood in this lower income African American neighborhood uh, in in Milwaukee and uh, has, and he is consistently killing young African American, like not even young, but like his age ish, like, you know, young queer. He did have uh, a victim that was 30 and then another one that was 32. Yeah. But he was like, it was twenties ish was his, was his, like there was a couple that were younger, but it was mostly like within the, gay club scene and it was mostly african-american when almost all of his victims are people of color and there is a question of did he know that in doing that people would not come looking for him because of the racism of the milwaukee police and the disregard for people of color's lives because that's a factor as well like he had the police called on him multiple times multiple times by his one neighbor neighbor who was an african-american lady who complained about the noise the smell and knew kind of knew without knowing that what was going on in there and tried to get the police called on him multiple times, even with the 14 year old, uh, low Asian kid, like he, but the thing is, and this was something when he was arrested that, that the, like, it was like, why did nobody report, you know, why, why wasn't there more done to look for these victims? And it's because this is the eighties in the well, late know, 80s. gay scene. Yeah, this is the late 80s in like, you know, with the late 80s in a not not super conservative, not like South conservative, but relatively conservative city in Wisconsin with police officers who want nothing to do with the, the gay community at all or with people of color and see both as criminals automatically. And so. No one looked for the gay African-American he had murdered because of the general racism and homophobia of the Milwaukee police Think about it like this also. Keep in mind this is during the Reagan administration, and this is also during the AIDS pandemic. And the way that the Reagan administration put it is, good, we're getting rid of the gays. So there was this, this thing in this country of... You know, let's just wait, sit back, relax. The AIDS will kill them all out, and then we'll be yeah. peaceful. So they didn't really give a shit because in their minds, they're like, oh, they'll be dead anyway in a couple of years. This is how horrible this country was. Yeah. You know, and I am conservative myself. I don't justify their actions by any means. It's disgusting and horrible. I'm not conservative at all, by the way. 
<laughs> but, 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 but the, I disagree. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, the whole ahead. problem over here is, is that you have this lack of, you know, decency and respect and safety for the people in your community around you where you have these people that cannot be properly kept safe because no one no. gives two shits about them. Well, right. That's exactly the thing. I, I'm sure you're going to talk about the 14 year old kid next. First of all, that was the brother. That was the younger brother of the kid that he molested years before that, which is one of the craziest things of yes. the whole story. Like that's just, it's mind blowing. And like, but also like his neighbor who was an Af the African-American woman and her daughter who was over, or her niece or something that was over and visiting they called the police because they they clocked that that kid was underage and that he was there was something more than him just being drunk and they called the police and the police interacted so, with them me... and interacted with the 14 year old after he already had acid in his brain and sent him back to Dahmer's apartment Let, let's um let's kind of briefly kind of break this down where uh like we mentioned he was he was 14 years old and you know that he basically approached him and offered him money to accompany him to his an apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. This was a thing that Dahmer had. He liked. He got a camera and he got into taking pictures of dismemberment and taking apart his bodies. He documented everything he did. Yeah. yeah. Kind of stupid, but kind of genius because actually that's where all the proof came from. Well, it's also just like real quick, like. He, there was no point in his life that he was hiding what he was, who he was. Like he was never quite like he was never like, like okay, like we talked about before this, we were talking about other other serial killers like like John Wayne Gacy and stuff. He had a secret life. This guy didn't have a secret life. He was just a complete like like he was just a psychotic mess everywhere in his life. And if anyone had ever stopped to look at anything in his life they would have seen and put some of the pieces together and some of people would still be alive he document he did he did so many things in you know in clear sight that everybody just thought he was like this you know cute middle class white kid unassuming harmless go on so uh I mean, you know, initially, uh, I, I cannot pronounce, I, I know his name is uh, Konerak, was the first name. I, I cannot pronounce the last name. Um, he was initially reluctant, uh, reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind, his changing his mind and accompanying him to his apartment, uh, where he posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him uh, into unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. Now, remember, this is a 14-year-old. Before next to the body of another dead lover. Yeah, literally. Uh, before he fell unconscious, yeah. Dahmer led the boy into his bedroom, where the body of the 31-year-old uh, Tony Hughes and her spawnering model, whom Dahmer had killed literally three days earlier, laid naked on the floor. Uh, according to Dahmer, he believed that uh, the boy saw it. Uh, he did not react to seeing the bloating corpse, likely because he was affected by the sleeping pills that he ingested. And... The worst part was the boy wasn't fully drugged. He basically escaped the apartment, 
and his neighbor actually saw what was going on. The boy ran out, and he ran into um, these other women that uh, were also Lao, and he started talking to them, and they started freaking out, and the cops were called. And when the cops came, they saw Dahmer with the 14-year-old, and he's saying, oh, he's drunk, he's drunk, he's... And remember, this boy's had a hole in his head drilled with acid, and, you know, they were saying, no, 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 there's something wrong, there's something... And the cops just bring the kid up. Dahmer said, again, Dahmer's the only person who is not a person of color in this except for the cops. Uh, Dahmer said, he's 19, he's my boyfriend, he just gets too drunk sometimes. And the cops literally sent this 14-year-old with a hole in his head with acid inside back to Dahmer's apartment. Didn't search the apartment, didn't do any sort of like you know, well, wellness check or anything, didn't ask for ID. They said that he lost his, the kid lost his ID. This is a 14-year-old who's just been, you know, essentially mutilated and drugged. And they believed, they believed Dahmer. They believed him when he said that he had no ID. It's just, it's such a, like, absolute, like, miscarriage of justice. Like, it's so insane. It's um, it's so difficult because when you're dealing with somebody like this, you know, we've um, it was kind of baffling to me that like the the Oxnard, the building that he was in, was demolished, and there's nothing there now. It's just a vacant lot, and yeah. there's no memorial ever made for the families. There's no. Um, in-depth video of going over with the families of what happened and their family members, nothing. Nothing. Everything's on Dahmer. There's no yeah. There's no focus on them. And I think like one of the important things about this show was kind of showing that what about the 17 victims' families? Like, they're alive yeah. now and they still don't have their family member. Yeah, they're still alive and they're seeing all of this and now they're seeing the show again. But at least now for the first time people know that they exist. You know, like, I think that, again, that was like my first thought when I started watching the, like, the beginning of the first episode. I was just like, is this just more glorifying of these people, of these like psychopaths? Because I feel like our culture does do that. Because I mean, I like watching crime things, but like there's an element of it where it's just like how much of this is like because we're curious and how much of this is because and like because we should know and how much of this is just exploitative and this one did not feel exploitative at all because this was like something where it was like this is actually this talks about the exploitation at the end there's even parts where they talk about how the family didn't get anything or the families didn't get anything they talk about like you know like how his father got dragged because he tried to write a documentary i never sorry write a write a memoir about raising jeffrey Dahmer. like it's and it's like it's like like we focus we do we kind of glorify these people and make them all almost into like these like antagonist anti-hero figures and i think this one this show was really powerful because it forced you to have to look at not what he had done to the victims but like the ripple effects that had in the world, the rest of the world, 
or the rest of the culture. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at the Manson family, and you know there, there was the murder of Sharon Tate and and the other people that were there. They blamed the Beatles. Like, oh yeah, we listened to Helter yeah. Skelter. They just put blame on something else, and you know the 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 problem is with these killers is that it's not the in, it's not the what they listen to the environment. It's the fact of neglect. You can't blame the world for your problems except yourself. And one thing I learned more than anything else, his parents could not accept the fact that they were failures. They were terrible to this child. And his mother was just, I mean, in in our language, we say chutzpah. She had the chutzpah to go yeah. to this family member and be like, can you, like, come to the court and, like, yeah. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Well, and then, and then she tried, I mean, and then, I mean, this is just how, what is, what is, just selfish, like, wouldn't, what, what a, like a, I don't even know, I don't know what to call this, but, you know, she tried to kill herself as well. Yeah. Like, after he was sentenced or something, or like, around the sentencing. And I, David was, like, young, and I'm not, like, a teenager, but, like, her other son was, like, you know, a pretty young dude still. And, she tried to kill herself to escape the reality of what was going on with Jeffrey. And like, that's how I don't, okay. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't want, I don't want people to be like, Oh, like think that someone who's like, Oh, suicide is selfish. Like I understand people have their reasons for doing things, but with her, I feel like she was very much a, I doing things for attention kind of person and her solution to running away from the fact that she had absolutely failed this person that she birthed was to try to take her own life and just run away again. Like, where is her accountability that she's holding herself to? At least the father, like the, if from, from what it seems like, it's like the father at least kind of went through a period where he blamed himself and did feel bad about it. But she just literally ran away from it again. You know, you kind of... The overall conclusion, I can say, is... Jeffrey Dahmer was... was a sane individual that had mental disorders. But because society failed him, he became what he is. And I think, overall... I don't think serial killers make themselves. I think society makes a serial killer. We allow these people to develop and grow and become what they are. And there needs to be prevention for this. Something. I think that there is... Oh, go on. Sir. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is... There's nothing that you can do about the cards you were dealt mentally and psychologically internally like i mean you can oh no that's, that's true let me that. you can change it from the, but in terms of like if you're somebody who has intrusive thoughts or has tendencies towards certain things or has like proclivities towards addiction or whatever these are things that are in you you can do a lot to change um external factors that eventually will change the internal change your way of thinking all of these things but they're probably never going to fully go away at least the desire to do these things but if you are somebody who is able to find the right kind of role models or the right kind of friends or the right kind of partners or the right kind of, you know, just like, uh, you know, teachers or whatever, like who can kind of help guide you away from that. No, it's not good to, you know, one of the things he did as a kid. And this, again, 
where were this kid's parents in this? So I'm just real quick. He, at one point he found a dead dog and he cut the head off and then eviscerated it and tied it to a tree and then showed one of his friends as a quote unquote prank. Like, a person might always have certain thoughts or certain like gravitations towards things but there are healthy ways to there are healthy ways to remedy that and to act the counter against it and if you never encounter any of those healthy ways there's very little keeping you from going further down that dark path the rabbit hole yeah what keeps all of us in check in society why i mean why isn't society just absolute you know murderous chaos because we all have these sort of checks and balances with people on like emotional and energetic and psychological and legal levels where we don't want to hurt this person because we care about this person we don't want to let this person down because we care about this person we don't want to hurt this person because it might hurt their family and like that these are the these are the reasons these are this is the these are the or sorry this is like the moral code this is like the internal sense of right and wrong and if no one is teaching you that you don't necessarily grow up intrinsically knowing it some people do but if you don't get taught that early enough and you don't get the positive like the positive or negative reinforcement for your actions that you need it's easy to keep going down that that rabbit hole yeah and lose yourself um i do want to leave i i do want to leave off on this note and say that we can never cure the world of jeffrey dahmer's but what we can learn from this is there's ways of expressing yourself. There's ways of caring for our communities. And more importantly than anything is remembering that every every person matters. And mm-hmm. being true to yourself, and if you're going through something, and having that support group that's there for you to help you through this, because if you don't have it, unfortunately, this is what happens. And yeah. We need to make sure, I think everyone can agree with this, no one like this ever happens to this level again in this country. Yeah. Can I add a thing? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to just leave it saying like, you know, if anyone who's listening is or knows somebody who has tendencies towards like, you know, kind of darkness in a sense like please just open up to some people about it maybe not your family if you don't trust them or whatever but to friends to to lovers to like to find community find people that can help you write your head when you're doing the wrong thing and like or like you know like can help you get away from that find creative outlets for it find painting drawing art like, like any kind of art, dance, like music, whatever, whatever thing that is positive and constructive where you can get as dark as you fucking want without harming anybody else or yourself. There are outlets for all of this. And if you, but if you bottle it all up inside, 
it gets twisted. And when you combine that with substance, heavy substance use and substance uh, like um, addiction, there's that's the path that, that you can find yourself on. If you, if you, I don't know, I'm kind of losing the end point there, but it's basically just like find creative outlets for these feelings. Yeah. Like we've already said, uh, punk grunge, uh, metal is also, I'll tell you honestly, like for me personally, um, you know, I've had, I've had that, you know, darkness and depth in my own life and oh me too yeah like crazy not i mean not now at 36 but when i was young yeah, yeah. and i mean like sometimes i want to just jam out to metal or you know make a darker piece or for example like when i'm doing nail art uh and again like that's a really great way of expressing it's not a bad thing metal is fucking amazing it's it's all about just expressing great. that inner darkness yeah it's cathartic. Yeah. It gives you a release, like a cathartic release. Like, okay. Like think of like if Stephen King had, or like, you know, if horror writers, let's just say Stephen King love, had never found writing. Writers. Yeah. But like if Stephen King had never found writing, would he be like, like Dahmer? Like, and if Dahmer had found something that he loved, would he just be like a weirdo artist? Like I, and I'm not trying to be like, like, it's a coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's a coulda, woulda, shoulda. I know. And that's not like a, that's not like a fail safe. Like you also have people who are artists who are also psychos, but like finding a healthy outlet and finding people to talk to when you are going down the dark, like the darkness is going, could save your life and other people's lives. Yes. yes. Well, this has been a, uh, been an interesting episode and hope all of y'all <laughs> hope you all learned something i definitely did and uh we'll catch you on the next one